0: sports radio 1043 the fan every saturday morning it's terry wickstrom outdoors terry takes you inside the outdoors you know hunting fishing camping it's terry wickstrom outdoors now
1: here's terry all right this is terry wickstrom and we've got a full packed show for you today we have uh, we have austin parr in studio and he's uh He's going to be joining us during during the show. Good morning, Austin.
2: How are you, Terry? Thanks for having me.
1: Doing great. We're going to get to talk a lot of fishing with this guy. You'll, if you don't know him already, you're going to get to know him. He's a wealth of information. Got a few, a little bit of housekeeping we want to get caught up. First of all, we're going to cover some smallmouth bass fishing on the western slope and what's going on there. Of course, Nate will join us, and he's he always has lots to talk about. I think he's going to talk carp fishing today, which I think is fantastic. I love the carp fish. Uh, We're going to have an Ask the Expert and a Tackle Talk today, so you want to stay tuned for those. Colorado Clay is going to come. We're going to talk a little shooting, and we just got all the regulars on the show and a lot going on. By the way, a couple things. Next week, I'm going to be on assignment in Florida. I'll be at ICAST, and then I'll be on the beach where Karen will be guarding the beach, and I'll be fishing in the surf, and I want you to know that we have never lost a grain of sand off that beach while Karen was guarding it, so you'll need to know that, so So next week, I'll be gone, and Brad Peterson is going to come in studio and do the show. Uh, Brad's been a frequent guest. He'll be here. And uh, we have a special guest lined up for the second hour with Brad, and that's Al Linder from the famous Linder Fishing Family. So we got all that coming next week. And then we have a big event in two weeks where I'm going to be broadcasting live from the Sportsman's Warehouse in Thornton. We'll tell you more about that as we get into the show. But right now, Austin, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Terry. I just uh, let, I brought you in here for only reason I brought you in here was to talk fishing. <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's uh, if you have never met Austin, he's about five one. He's about two hundred and seventy pounds. <laughs> no, how tall are you? Six two. He's six two. He's a young young guide. You're a guide. You work at a local tackle absolutely. store. You work at Discount Tackle. I do, yes. And you, you do a lot of guiding. What bodies of water do you mostly guide on? Cherry
2: Creek and Chatfield primarily, especially this time of year when we're dealing with our good summertime patterns of fishing.
1: Well, you know, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the summer peak. Oh, man. And it's it's going to change, though, pretty soon. It is, absolutely. And when it changes, and we'll get into that a little bit, you know what happens when everybody's catching fish right now because the little shad are too small for yep. those, especially those under 20-inch fish. Yep. And... What's going to happen is those little shadder are going to get big enough to eat here pretty soon. And those fish are going to have a plethora of food.
2: And it becomes and a little tougher. It
1: does. And it changes. Those fish that were on structure maybe chasing crawfish and minnows and things like that. Now they're going to, a lot of those fish will move off and suspend.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm starting to see a little bit of that as well. Out on Cherry Creek yesterday, we saw some, some big clouds of bait. And we actually hooked a couple when we were fishing with some jigging wraps. But they were still really small. They're about a half inch long. So we have, you know, a couple of weeks left. And then we're going to start to see a lot of those fish start moving offshore.
1: And, you know, when that happens... I, I used to, I used to chuckle. I'm, I moved out here. I had to learn to fish reservoirs and I moved out here in the early eighties. And it's so different than fishing natural lakes, Absolutely. you know, because of the water fluctuations and the differences in the bait and things. But I used to just be amused almost by the people and good tournament fishermen, even that weren't used to reservoirs or shad populations. Oh, yeah. And Glendo was a great example. Early in the spring, we would catch the fish right back in the trees and the weeds. And we'd be casting jigs and crankbaits where you shouldn't cast a jig or a crankbait. (laughs) But those big walleyes would be back there. Then as the water receded and the shad started to hatch, they'd move to the first drop-off. Then you were bottom-bouncing and jigging off points, maybe trolling shallow with crankbaits up there. Then it got to be about the end of June, first part of July, and people quit fishing until they said the walleyes don't bite anymore. (laughs) <laughs> and what would happen is fish were over 60 70 feet of water Descended. chasing shad yeah and we'd go yep. through uh gary darling and i did a television show and Charlie you probably know charlie black Absolutely. he's a tournament fisherman really good charlie black was driving our camera boat and charlie was a tournament walleye fisherman who was just set on uh jigging that's the way he loved to fish so he was driving our camera boat, and he was kind of watching what we were doing. And Gary and I, we were over about 60 feet of water in Airport Bay. We were probably 40 feet behind a board without, without any uh, without any length of line or weights. I yep, mean, so yep. so those jigging, ra- I mean, jigging, ra- Rappelas at the time were probably getting down. We had Rappelas and uh, Frenzies from Berkeley, and uh-huh. they were probably getting down about five, six feet at the most because we could barely see the clouds of the bay on our electronics because they were so shallow, we could barely see them. So we knew they were really shallow. And once we got set up and started going, we were virtually harvesting fish. (laughs) I mean, we had to virtually take the lures off the rods so that we could turn to the camera and talk so it looked like we were fishing because we'd have a fish on. We never got to do a tackle talk or tell people what we were doing. That end of that filming segment, Charlie went and bought all the trolling equipment, line counters and planer boards and all those type of things. So people really sometimes have a tough time. It's not the fish aren't there, right?
2: The fish are absolutely still there. and. You know, there's just a lot of targets in the lake. And, 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 you know, this time of year, although you really wind up having the details, they, they do matter. The details matter even more when you're dealing with that late summer pattern. You're having to really dial in on the proper depth with the proper size of crankbait and color, and the fish can wind up getting a little bit picky. But once you get that dialed in, as you mentioned, it can be absolutely ridiculous good fishing
1: oh it's going to be good fishing throughout the summer yeah but it's going to be different fishing. it's just different i'll bet you see people both on guide trips and in your shop that come in and they say i'm i was catching walleyes and all of a sudden they're
2: gone they just they left yeah and and they they didn't you know they didn't go anywhere they can't get out of the lake no they're still
1: there but you're competing with bait. the other thing i like is if you have a big shad die off somewhere i like the fact that the fish go crazy and every fisherman thinks he's ready for the pro tour. Uh, they come yeah. in you know because those fish are hungry. so when you have to compete with that bait and you have to really pay attention, so tell us what you're seeing at Cherry Creek and Chatfield right now, and how you think it's going to progress
2: so right now at Cherry Creek, there's still a lot of fish that are up on the humps yesterday after the the rainstorm the the previous night. They had pushed down a little bit and were a little bit deeper, but the majority of the fish that we were catching were still up on top of something, so on top of a ridge line, on top of a hump. And we were out in a little bit deeper water yesterday, but we were seeing a lot of clouds of bait. So we're going to start to see that bait grow up a little bit, move out a little bit more, and those fish will start to push off of those humps over the next several weeks. Now, I haven't been seeing as much bait out on Chatfield as of late, actually, and the bite has been just absolutely fantastic out there. The fish haven't been gigantic, but we're catching a ton of numbers of fish on anything from just your standard live bait applications. Crawlers have been absolutely great out there, but also blade baits, jigging wraps have both been been really, really solid and even doing a little bit of casting some crankbaits up shallow, we wound up having some good success the other day.
1: Well, and we're gonna talk later on more about blade baits. That's yep. a that was something that was really big. I think way back in the 60s and 70s yep. when the head and sonic came out, and then they kind of went out of favor, and then about 25 or 30 years ago, uh, two or three companies came out with blade baits. The Cicada, I think, was a big one then. Yep.
0: The and the And
1: they've kind of gone in and out. And and all of a sudden they're catching on, and I think they're catching on again because of what you said about the jigging wraps. And everybody's got now what they call a glider bait or exactly. something like that. And we'll talk. We can talk about some of those. We're going to do a tackle talk on those later in the show. I still love to go with just a lead head jig and fish. It's my favorite <laughs> way to fish. If it is. I could only fish one way. So you're still catching them on jigs right now. We are
2: yes. So you know those fish are still up relatively shallow, particularly out at Cherry Creek, but Chatfield as well. You know. Ten feet of water, twelve feet of water, fifteen feet of water. But the the biggest key as usual in the summertime is you have to wind up finding them on top of something. So if you're off of the off of the bottom and out, out in the main basin, likely you're not going to be finding a lot of walleyes, but if you can find those fish all the way up on top or along the edge of a break, jigs and, and crawlers, plastics are fantastic. You know, some curly tail grubs from Berkeley are, are great. But then I love also, the gulp minnow. Oh, yeah. Gulp minnows are, are fantastic. Paddle tails also can do really, really well, and I think that's a really overlooked pattern this time of year and a lot of people are are fishing straight tail minnows and although that can fish really really well a paddle tail can also be really productive
1: you get that extra action that little product i'm going to tell you i'm going to i'm going to confess to something i did to somebody here several years ago out on chatfield and i don't know if i've ever told this story on the air but there was this one guy that always wanted me to take take him fishing and he was he had a little bit of an ego and (laughs) i kind of thought yeah i don't know so i took him out one day i had the front of my boat right on the edge of the road bed So I was in about, I don't know, 10 feet of water right there. Maybe, you know, give or take five feet. He was on the back end of the boats. He was probably in 20 some feet of water, right? And so I'm popping these walleyes on a jig and he's got the same setup and he's not catching them and he's not catching them. And so finally, I said, I don't know what's going on here. Let's switch rods. I give him my yeah. rod, you know, and I'm still catching. I never told him, and I'm not going to say his name because get in trouble uh, to this day what I did to him.
3: <laughs> well, but it
2: can be that precise. It can. And, you know, I was just going to mention that's right where you're talking about where details matter. You know, if you don't have the proper boat positioning, it, you know, it doesn't matter at all. And I always talk to my clients about how my electronics, being my big Laranche units and, and my motor guide unit up front, They are the biggest reason that you're catching these fish because you have to find them first and then you have to stay on them. And you can throw a plethora of different products and different lures and jigs and blade baits and all that kind of stuff at them. But if you're not on the fish in the first place, you're not going to wind up catching them.
1: When you're fishing structure like this, especially walleyes, electronics are so important. Oh, yes. And, you know, back in the old days, we didn't have this good electronics, but we triangulated a lot. But it was still important. We had the trolling motors weren't anything like they are now, the electrics. but. And in my whole career fishing, which has been over four decades, um, using that trolling motor, boat control has been so critical. And I think the little things like boat control separate the successful angler, especially the tournament and the pro, from the weekend guy who gets frustrated. Oh, out there.
2: absolutely. I mean, it's it, it, there's no question about it. If you're not, if your boat's not in the in the proper position, and you're you don't know how to run your electronics and and be on that spot. You can forget about it. I mean, it's it's tough, and you'll pick up a few fish here or there, but, you know, people ask me, well, what's the difference between someone that's guiding and someone that's just out there fishing? And that's one of the biggest things is, you know, you're you're in tune with your boat, in tune with your electronics, and you're able to, to get out there and keep your the nose of your boat right on the spot it needs to be.
1: Well, you know, that's another thing I find, and I don't guide. I, I just, I, and I wouldn't do to people like I did to the fella in the story. I, when I take somebody out, I really want them to have fun. Absolutely. And if they don't, then I get frustrated with it. And that's, yeah. that's tough being a guy because the fish don't always cooperate. They don't. And yeah. I don't care who you are. I've fished with the best fishermen around the world all my life. From the in fishermen guys to the bass pros I've been in the boat with these guys, and nobody catches fish all the time.
2: They're still fish and they still go through patterns and you have weathers uh, you know weather movements that they come all the way through and and changes in the bait population out on the lake and all these different factors you know can lead to tough days, but you know it's just all about trying to break down each individual day, and that's something that I have to really preach as well is that I'm out there almost every single day out on Cherry Creek and Chatfield. And I'm finding that these fish a lot of times are sitting in a different spot every single day. So, you know, not going and, and fishing where you caught them yesterday, that's another big thing right there. And you can definitely, you know, look around and, and, and try and find the fish in the other spots because they'll move around like crazy.
1: Well, I think also guiding, you become even more in tune because when you're just fishing, you're running your boat, you're holding a rod, yep. you're looking at your electronics. I think when you're guiding somebody and keeping them on a spot, and and you're looking at the electronics constantly and guiding the boat. But then I also think as a guide or as a fisherman – I think a lot of times you see what's going on in the other person's rod more than they feel it because <laughs> yeah, you see all the little twitches, even experienced fishermen. Oh, yeah. Sometimes because their hand is moving or things, but you're seeing the line movement, the twitches, and you're in tune to that because you're trying to help your customers catch fish. Yeah, absolutely. It really polishes your own skills doing that, too. It really does.
2: Yeah. It makes you think about exactly the, the different small nuances that you're you're seeing, whether you're talking about that line movement or rod tip movement. and. And even like you said, just about the boat position, you're so focused on all of this stuff that it, it winds up when you're out there fishing yourself, you put then your boat in that same position and and you react to those same kind of rod tip movements or line movements that you're, that you're then paying attention to.
1: We got to take a break. You're um we're gonna be back. We're gonna be talking to Austin during the whole show, but we have our whole regular lineup of uh, segments and guests coming up. from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by, in part, by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. Um, we're going to go to the phones now because we want to talk about an event that's going on over on the West Slope, the Southwest part of the state. So, joining us from Parks and Parks and Wildlife, we have um, Eric Gardunio. Did I get your name right, Eric? I always look at it and I struggle. Yeah, you did. That's uh, um, good.
0: The second time was right. Thanks
1: (laughs) for having me on. (laughs) Well, you come on about once a year anymore to talk about this tournament. I think we could maybe set the groundwork a little bit to start with. The reason for this tournament, uh, it's at Ridgeway Reservoir, and it's for smallmouth bass. And smallmouth bass were illegally introduced into that lake, and it's really causing some management issues, isn't it?
3: Right. You
0: know, we're over here in western Colorado and, and we're part of the um, Upper Colorado River Recovery Program um, where we uh, try to take care of these native fish that are found in our rivers out here. And if these smallmouth bass get out of Ridgeway Reservoir, they can be a, a big problem for those species. So when people move them into places like Ridgeway, then our agency put in a place where we have to respond and try to control these species. So. Um, that's sort of the goal of the tournament.
1: And now, if for people that don't understand, you know, smallmouth bass were originally a riverine fish, so they adapt really well to rivers. So they predate, they predate very well when they get into the rivers. Like largemouth bass aren't as much of a problem. The other thing with Ridgeway, it's not an overly fertile lake. It's a great trout fishery. You've got a lot of bugs and things. You don't have a lot of plankton, and so support they compete with all the other fish too in the lake, don't they?
0: Right. And what we've seen in Ridgeway is there's a handful of nice bass, you know, 17, maybe 18 inch um, smallmouth, but they're vastly outnumbered by smaller fish. Most of the fish are going to be 12 inches and under. And that's because of that low productivity that you mentioned. It's just uh, hasn't really turned into quality smallmouth fishery by any means. And, um, you know, at the same time, again, that escapement potential for those fish getting out of the reservoir and into our rivers is um uh but it's not
1: only the right problem. it's not only the right thing to do to protect those other species but it's mandated to you and if you if we don't control the numbers in ridgeway the federal government could put stronger mandates and we may see a loss of that fishery wells rebuilt
0: right and you know that's one of the things that that our state um is is really you know working on and we're trying to do a good job of that and we're trying to provide these opportunities for our anglers as best we can Um, States like Utah and Wyoming are also um, in the same boat. We're all managing fish in the Colorado River Basin. And, um, you know, there's multiple tools we can use. Everything from rotenoning these reservoirs to um, some states are putting mandatory killer regulations on these fish. And we felt like this tournament is a more positive way to address the problem, where we're hoping we can have anglers um, help us with the issue have a fun time doing it, and, you know, hopefully win some some nice prizes. Well,
1: that's just it. Maybe we can recruit some anglers. What a great event to take kids to. Uh, I've got Austin Parr in studio here with me. And, Austin, this catching those little smallmouth is great for kids.
2: Absolutely. Getting some kids out there and, and just hitting them one after another certainly is a great way to, to get them into the sport.
1: And they've become tournament fishermen all of <laughs> a sudden, right?
2: So tell us a little <laughs> bit
1: about the tournament and how it's going to work.
0: Yeah. So this year, it's a little bit longer than it has been the last couple of years. We're running it from July 7th through 30th. So that starts next Friday. Um, One change this year is we weren't getting a lot of people out there during the middle of the week in the past years. And so what we're doing is we're only having our check station open on uh, Friday, Saturday, Sundays and Mondays. Um, But we are... Exp- extending the tournament so that it's it's four weeks long, and that's going to give people a good chance to get out there and uh, catch some of these fish. No. Um, so the format is uh, you get a raffle ticket for every smallmouth bass you bring in. Regardless of size, if you can catch a bunch of two-inch long smallmouth bass, they count the same as, as a 17- or 18-inch long smallmouth. And then we'll we'll give the prizes away with a raffle drawing at the end of the uh tournament.
1: And you don't have to be present. Tell people about some of the prizes. You got some great prizes.
0: Yeah, you know, the grand prize is a nice fourteen foot tracker with a twenty five horsepower power uh mercury on the back. Um comes with uh life jackets and we got a nice hummingbird sonar uh GPS com- combo for that. Um, we also have the second tier prizes, they're uh some nice one person pontoon boats. And then we also have a youth, uh, prize package that we have these pretty nice, um, uh, lure packages for, for kids. So any angler under the age of 10 that brings in a smallmouth bass automatically wins one of these, uh, uh, lure packages.
1: Now, are there details for the tournament on a website people can go to?
0: Yeah. If you just go to our Colorado Parks and Wildlife website, um, and type in fishing tournament, information on this tournament will pop up for you.
1: All right, now, one thing, I was talking about this about, Austin, and you and I talked it uh, during the week, the same thing, is you've got to keep these because they're going to be killed. The idea is to get them out of the lake. And we've preached so much catch and release in the United States, almost to the detriment of some fisheries. Is nothing wrong. Those smallmouth are just like panfish, and a lot of bass fish are going to cringe when I say this, right, Austin? Uh, yeah. but when I say when I say they're really good eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I really think if you did a blind taste test between something like a crappie and a little smallmouth bass, most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference.
3: Yes. And you
0: bring up a good point. You know, as a fish manager, we're we're always trying to set our regulations in such a way that it's going to benefit the fishery. And there's a lot of situations where we do need some harvest out there. Um, there's a lot of stunted uh, sport fish populations out there where you know, if people would harvest some fish, it could actually be pretty beneficial. And so I think looking to our regulations can can sort of guide anglers so they can have more of a selective harvest uh, mentality.
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right. Before I let you go, I have one more question for you. By the way, coming up, folks, you want to stay tuned because the next segment after the bottom of the hour is going to be kirsten who manages the park out of ridgeway and she'll talk about the camping facilities and we'll get a little more about what's going on with some of the fishing and some of the other activities you can do if you go over there while you're participating in this tournament but eric one thing i want you i know you've got some favorite fishing spots that you want to tell people about so we can if they're out there we don't want them to just fish fish ridgeway you what's one of your favorite spots if somebody's coming out
0: yeah you know a really great spot if folks are out here for this tournament um it's worth checking out just not even necessarily from a fishing perspective but um is is the area in around silverjack reservoir and it's a quick beautiful drive um over owl creek pass from ridgeway to get to silverjack reservoir um it's a really beautiful part of the san juan mountains over there and um There's some good fishing for rainbows in the reservoir, and then there's three tributaries, the three forks of the Cimarron that come into uh, the reservoir, and there's some great creek fishing in there for rainbows, cutthroats, and brook trout. So um, that's kind of a cool little spot to check out if people are over in this part of the state.
1: All right. Eric, thank you so much for joining us, and tell people again the dates and where they find the tournament.
0: Um, Yeah, July 7th through 30th. And um, get on Colorado Parks and Wildlife website and type in fishing tournament and all of the information, including all of the rules, um, is uh, on the site.
1: All right. Thank you so much.
0: Great. Thank you. You bet.
1: That's Eric from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I want to go right back to the phones. One of our regular friends from Adventure Campers is joining us, uh, Ray Reeves. Good morning, Ray.
3: Hi, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing good, and I just had a great thought. You know, this all this stuff going on over at Ridgeway, and you can get off the road a little bit even there, and it's a beautiful country. I know you've got some of those high-wheelbase campers that people can get off and really go camping with on sale. They ought to come buy one and just head over to this tournament.
3: That, that's right, and you know Ridgeway is one of my favorite state parks. I love the state parks in general, but Ridgeway is one of my personal favorites, and you 're right it 's a gorgeous part of the state. We carry the real light brand um, they come out of the factory with lift kits on them, so the camper box itself does have much more clearance than a typical camper and we mount them with twenty eight inch off road tires so yeah, you can get back to where the the fish are
1: now do those come I know you 've got some light campers you can tow with smaller vehicles. Can you get those high wheelbase and the lighter or is out a different model?
3: No, these are all uh, below 3,500 pounds, so even a guy with, say, a Jeep Wrangler, uh, you know, not an overly heavy-duty towing capacity, can tow one of these real easily.
1: Well, that's awesome. Hey, before we uh, let you go on other things, go on to a couple of other things, I was talking earlier that we're going to have this great event out at Sportsman's Warehouse July 15th. I believe you're going to be joining us and have some models out there.
3: We will, and uh, we can't wait to show them. We'll, we'll bring out one of the Real Light trailers and one of the Sonomas, which is the high-end luxury trailers. And So, yeah, we'll have a lot of good stuff for the folks to look at there at Sportsman's.
1: Well, if people don't want to wait, how do they find you, Ray?
3: Uh, we are uh, at adventurecamper.com for a website. If you want to come by and see us, we're at 14051 East Davies. That's near Arapahoe Road and Jordan Road.
1: All right. Well, I'm not going to be here next week, but Brad Peterson will, so you'll get to talk to him, and then I'll see you out of Sportsman's Warehouse in a couple weeks.
3: Can't wait, Terry. Thank uh, you. Thanks, Ray. Enjoy your weekend.
1: You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier. Outfitter. You know, you know I want to talk to Kirsten. You're playing Eagles music. And you know I'm going to listen when you play Eagles music. Number one band in America. We've been through this debate before. It's over. So we'll just make sure we everybody understands that.
2: Austin says Terry, the Beatles th- are better.
1: You think the Beatles are... This will continue later. This argument is not over. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And we are going to go right to the phones because I got to tell you, Kirsten, I was, I was just almost felt like I was not having my cup of coffee this morning. They said you weren't on the line yet because there was an emergency. And the energy you bring from the way you are so enthusiastic about ridgeway reservoir i almost almost had a letdown because of it
4: (laughs) well i appreciate that uh yeah they caught me just in time i'm uh guarding the shoreline but everything's calm now so
1: all right you know we're going on a trip and and we're going to south florida and karen guards the beach while i fish and we've never lost a grain of sand off that beach oh wow so I mean, That's so,
4: amazing.
1: Isn't that something? Hey, we just talked to Eric. You guys have the big tournament, the bass tournament, going out there for the smallmouth. And a lot of people are probably thinking, boy, I could go out there and catch some of those smallmouth and get my in the drawing to win the boat or one of the pontoons. Or, or just have a lot of fun and take the kids, can get some fishing packs and kids' prizes and things. So it just sounds like a great time. But let's tell them a little more about the park. Tell them where it's located and kind of describe the park.
4: Sure. Um We are in southwest Colorado. We're about two hours south of Grand Junction, um, down Highway 550 from Montrose. We're about 30 miles from Montrose, approximately. Uh, we're within very close proximity to Telluride and Uray and Silverton, less than an hour to each of those um, communities, mountain communities. And uh, so we're kind of very well located to get to a lot of area attractions in the southwest um, that are available this time of year.
1: Oh, and you do have so many. I mean, just the beauty of the area alone is so fantastic or they don't call Uray the Switzerland of the Rockies for nothing. It's just incredible there. And then you've got access, I believe there's a lot of motorized trails close by.
4: Yes, there are. Actually, right out of Uray, it's one of the most um highly regarded four by four road areas and it connects to a lot of other communities. You can get from Uray to Lake City, Uray to Silverton, Uray to Telluride, all on neat four wheel drive trails. That are um maintained by the um folks that uh you know work locally for service and b l m come on please. um and so uh it is a great four by four area and then also there's a lot of great hiking trails around Uray and silverton and Lots of things like that.
1: Well, let's talk about the camping and then get to the fishing, because the smallmouth aren't the only fishing there. And by the way, I have Austin Parr in studio with me. Austin, it's a lake we neither one of us fish enough.
4: No,
2: but certainly I've heard great rumors about how fantastic of a fishery it is with the big browns and kokanee and all that kind of good stuff.
1: Well, we'll get more of that in a little bit. But people want to come out and fish this bass tournament. It goes through most of July. Uh, how are you set up, or do you need reservations? Is there camping space available? What's your status?
4: So over the last two to three years, um, we really have kind of been discovered. So I do recommend reservations, particularly the weekends. Um, the last I heard, for instance, we were booked on weekends, uh, until the third week of July right now. We do have more weekday availability. So if people are flexible on their schedule, uh, our campsites actually kind of have a, a diversity. We have walk-in tent sites where you park your car in one area and we have carts and you can take all your belongings in a cart and um, go up into a site that is away from the roadway. And we have 25 of those. And then we have electric sites um, with shared water and a a dump station for your sewer. And then we have full hookup sites at Pocket Chupac and those are really popular. Um, And then finally we have yurts uh, and those are like round cabins. And so we kind of run the full gamut of camping opportunities. So
1: No, it's it's and it's so beautiful there. It's just fantastic. Now let's talk a little bit about the fishing. We talked with Eric quite a bit about the smallmouth and the smallmouth there are just prolific, aren't they?
4: Yes. They did, and he probably gave you a good idea. The population has been here for many, many years, but it kind of hit a uh, point at which it really accelerated. And because of some of the endangered fish issues, uh, we wanted to take some opportunities to just keep that in check a little bit, and that's what the uh, tournament is for. It's an incentive harvest to have anglers help us manage the fishery. We are not going to ever eliminate smallmouth from the lake for those that love it, but it's just something to kind of mitigate some of those, um, issues that come with it. And it, it diversifies the fishery. We have a trout fishery, as you guys mentioned. Um, our big trout are the browns. Uh, those are most often caught in the early spring. And we have some, uh, die hard folks that come in in April, um, and some even in March. And that's where some of our biggest browns are brought in. But we still haven't brought in throughout the summer. Um, our lake record was brought in. During the regular summer season, and so. It's and
1: how how big was that there. fish? Tell people how uh, how big 24 that. Twenty-four
4: pounds. It was twenty-four pounds, and it was thirty-three inches long. That
2: really so, is a giant.
1: No, that's a yeah. big brown. And Eric tells me that there's a number of those giants in there. Him and I have talked offline, and he said that the next state record should come out of Ridgeway.
4: <laughs> yeah, I I think they are in here. Um, whenever they do the aquatic folks do their checking. They find them and, and we know because we every once in a while, um, we'll see them actually. But, uh, it's, I think it's a good challenge for an angler who's experienced to figure out at what depth and what thing they might bite on, particularly as the summer heats up. But there's also some splake in there and Eric probably mentioned those. Some of those are getting of, of pretty good size as well. Um, and those were intended to kind of also be a little bit of a larger fishery. And then, as you mentioned, we do have kokanee. And sometimes folks will hook those during the high season, but they also, uh, we do have a kokanee run. And so it kind of varies year to year as to, you know, the population of that. But consistently, people can come and snag if they want to snag um, once they start running. Or as they school up to run, we'll have folks that go out and catch them, you know, on spinner rods. So um, that's an option um, as well.
1: And you also, I, I believe, they're pretty heavily stocked with catchable rainbows too.
4: Yes, absolutely. And rainbows, uh, folks have been doing really well for rainbows, particularly on worms. And uh, we also stock our two ponds, which are um, ponds at our northern part of our park. And what makes those kind of a neat opportunity is they're great for kids or folks that might have accessibility. Um, concerns because there's a paved walkway to a, uh, a portion of them that they can get to very easily. And then for kids, we stock it for our Huck Finn Fishing Derby. So there's always a pretty good um, population in there as well as they diversify the size in there quite a bit.
1: Now, the last thing, I want to just take a minute or two, and that's the tailwater there too on the river. That's an exceptional fishery.
4: It is. Uh, the tailwaters is actually one of the things that we're very um, highly known for. It is one of the tailwaters or fishing areas that folks can get to 12 months out of the year. So we actually have a pretty decent use on that river throughout the year. But it is um, specially constructed. It, a lot of work was done to put in some habitat for fish so that they have places that they can kind of hide in and, and the fishermen can see if they can uh, lure them out with flies or artificial lures. Um, So it is uh, really good. And when we have done population uh, checking in there, it is very good. Um, There's a lot of big fish and medium and a lot of diversity to that.
1: All right. We're going to have to let you go, Kirsten, but if people want more information on the reservoir or the tournament, where do they go?
4: Uh, The website is great. We try and keep all that updated for conditions and facilities. And then also they're welcome to give us a call at the park at 970-626-5822 and get to one of our live staff that would love to answer questions and make sure they have an excellent visit.
1: All right. Thank you so much for joining us, as always.
4: All right. Well, thank you. Appreciate it.
1: All right. Thanks, Kirsten. And as always, you can just tell your enthusiasm for your park. It comes through.
4: We do love it, and we welcome everybody out, and I hope you guys make it too.
1: You bet. We will. It's going to be on our bucket list. Maybe we'll have to come together and fish it. Absolutely.
4: Yeah, I'll I'll hold a yurt for you. You just tell me when.
1: All right, and we'll come and see if we can get one of those big browns for you.
4: Very good.
1: All right, thanks, Kirsten.
4: Thank you very much.
1: You bet. Terry Wilkstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Gonna get music for a minute. <laughs> My fault. Terry, and Eagles again. You know, Austin wants to talk about some baits here. Terry Wilkstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. It's time now for Terry's tackle tip of the week. All right, we are going to have our tackle tip, and actually, I'm going to kind of just listen and join in a little bit as Austin Pars with us, and he's going to talk about a classification of baits that has gone in and out of popularity. But uh, Austin, the blade bait is hitting home runs again.
2: It certainly is, Terry. You know, we mentioned it earlier in the show about how productive it really has been. But, you know, as of late, there's been a lot of companies that have come out with some fantastic products. But in particular, the Johnson Thin Fisher Blade Bait has certainly turned into one of my favorites over the last several years.
1: Now, if people were listening earlier in the show, we talked a little about the history of blade baits. You can go all the way back to the 60s, and the blade baits came in and out of favor. And I don't think anglers really understood them. They kind of made a comeback in the, I don't know, maybe the 80s, maybe, kind of made a comeback. And most of the... Top-end anglers have a few in their box, oh, we yes. always have had, but they never caught on as much with the weekend fishermen, and that's a shame because they really catch fish, don't they?
2: They certainly do, especially out west here when we're dealing with all these lakes that are just absolutely full of shad. A little blade bait just mimics that little fleeing bait fish so well, and especially with that Johnson thin fish, you know, one of the best things about it is that it actually has a really tight vibration, and that's what one of the things that it sets it apart from a lot of these other baits that, you know, we just had mentioned there.
1: I think one of the problems getting the weekend anglers to try a bait blade is the same problem you have with a jigging spoon. It doesn't look sexy. It It doesn't. doesn't look like a realistic crankbait. It doesn't look like that soft plastic with the scent that looks like a real minnow. And I think psychologically, fishermen have trouble with that.
2: Absolutely. You know, you you have different lures that are certainly fishermen catchers when they're sitting on the shelves of a store, but this particular bait, although it might not quite look as nice as some of the other ones, they certainly do catch fish.
1: And it's a reaction bait, wouldn't you say that? You're catching fish, you're not trying to feed it to them, you're getting a reaction.
2: Certainly, you know, I mean, and depending upon how you work it, if you're, if you're working it a little bit slower along the bottom, which I like to do quite a bit, you can, you know, p- potentially feed a fish a little bit more, but the thing that I always find is when that bait bite gets difficult, Cult, you strap on one of these blade baits right here and, and get a fish to react to it and wind up putting a lot of extra fish on the boat or in hand on the shoreline. And, and it definitely, a lot of times, can can definitely help save a day.
1: Why don't you tell people a couple of the situations you would go to a bait blade and how you would fish it?
2: Absolutely. So during the, the main summertime pattern here, a lot of people think that, you know, the bait is, is certainly the way you want to wind up going. And, and bait can catch a lot of fish, leeches, nightcrawlers, all that kind of stuff has been a standby for anglers, especially walleye fishing for years. But as you wind up moving into this summertime pattern, these fish are still sitting up on top of these humps. They're still in the same locations you'd think about catching them on bait. However, casting a blade bait out, letting it hit the bottom, and then what I like to do is, is give it a little bit of a yo-yo pattern back. So we'll actually pull it up and then reel down our slack, and then pulling it up and reel down our slack, keeping our rod tip up high but that particular bait will work its way along the bottom and a lot of times catch those fish, particularly in the middle of the day when those fish on bait quit biting, but you can add fish all throughout the day on these baits.
1: Well, and the idea of a reaction-type bait is that you don't want to give them time to think about it. Exactly. You know, like when you're ice fishing, you can get some reaction with spoons and things, or when you're you're fishing below a bobber, or when you're fishing with a piece of bait, they have a lot of time to look that over and make a decision. With a blade bait, They've got to just – it goes by, and they've got instincts come over, and they've either got to react or not. And almost – you'll get – sometimes when the fishing is toughest, people think you need to slow down and get finesse, and that can be true. But more often than not, a reaction will get more fish.
2: It certainly will, and especially as we wind up moving through the the late summertime pattern and into the fall where we're dealing with a lot of shad that will start to die off, having a good reactionary pattern to not only – trigger a fish, but also mimic a fleeing and dying bait fish will turn into be a fantastic and successful uh, method to wind up catching some good fish.
1: Are there particular sizes and colors you seem to be effective or do you use a variety?
2: You know, I do use a variety, but a thin fisher is offered in a small 316-ounce size, a quarter-ounce size, and then the half-ounce size. So many times I'm finding myself fishing with that quarter-ounce size and then utilizing it Um, As far as colors are concerned, depending upon the forage in the lake. So say I'm fishing a Cherry Creek or a Chatfield. I like to get with some of the silver patterns. They have a, a pure chrome as well as a black back with a chrome body. But then say I'm going out to Aurora. It's a perch-based fishery, and there's not you know, a shad in there like you're dealing with in a lot of these other metro fisheries. So we'll slide over and, and, and use their perch pattern. And a lot of times having that little bit of that gold flash in there, even in the early season in some of these other lakes like Chatfield where the shad may have not bloomed, the perch can wind up uh, catching a lot of fish as well.
1: Now, a lot of people think of a blade bait along with spoons as a specifically a cold water bait. Yes. But you're telling me you fish it year-round.
2: I can catch a fish on a blade bait 365 days a year on the ice in the early season down at Pueblo, all the way up through the fall at Chatfield and Cherry Creek. Now, multiple species? Absolutely. I have caught almost every species that you could imagine on a blade bait. So, I mean, anything from, you know, lake trout, a lot of people overlook that bait for a Mackinac, but getting up into that bigger half-ounce size, particularly when they're up a little bit shallower in the early and late part of the season, Blades catch a lot of fish, but then I also find that smallmouth and largemouth absolutely love them. You know, a lot of largemouth anglers know that that lipless crankbait early in the season can be an absolutely fantastic choice. But this blade bait, I kind of designate it as a little bit more of a finesse lipless crankbait. It doesn't have that big heavy rattle in it. You're not just burning it along the shorelines, working that little bit of that vibration along the shores for those largemouth can can be a fantastic way to go in the early season.
1: Now, are they expensive?
2: They're absolutely not. So 3 dollars 5 is what you're dealing with on these guys. And you know it. Almost at that price makes them disposable, which is nice because you can wind up using them in and around cover, rock faces, all kinds of different stuff. And I've, I've caught fish in all different structure points. And they're part of the reason because I'm not afraid to, Throw it in there like a really expensive lure.
1: That isn't that one thing you always see with, uh, especially with novice anglers beginning. They, they don't want to throw the lure where the fish is because yep. there's snags there, you know, exactly. and you gotta be, and that's why I love fishing soft plastics, but the blade bait, it's surprising, even something with treble hooks on it, what you can work it through once you learn how to use the cadence and things. Do you think blade baits are starting to resurge again? Because we've seen this, uh, jigging wrap, the new type, yep. uh, the, Glide type baits that everybody's coming out with. You know, for a long time on the pro circuits, that was one of the big secrets. Oh yeah. They were, everybody said, oh, those are winter lures, but guys were going off humps. And the blade bait fits almost right in that same category.
2: Certainly. You know, I think a lot of the popularity is is coming to the point where a lot of weekend anglers have, have gotten sick of not catching fish in the middle of the day, especially this time of year. You know, we're going to start to see this bait bite die down. And even out guiding yesterday, I found that that early bait bite was okay. But then after it, it died down a little bit, we break out the blade baits, work that cadence with that yo-yo retrieve back over some of these humps, and you wind up adding a lot of fish to the boat.
1: One last question. When would you use a blade bait instead of like a jigging wrap or a gl- glide bait?
2: So anytime I'm dealing with a really shallow flat, I like to use a blade. So I'll cast it up even as shallow as, as four or five feet of water, and that winds up working fantastic. And a lot of times with those those glide baits, you're going to cast them out there. And even on a big pole, you can have that bait not remain in as close to bottom contact as that jigging wrap. And and- now. Go
1: on. I think what you're saying too is that you don't like jigging spoons. You can do with that, with but you think more of it as a as a vertical presentation. Exactly. You can cover a little more horizontal water with these and get a better presentation.
2: Absolutely. You know you can just work it right along the bottom and 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 you know, like I said that yo-yo retrieve is is critical with that, but it, it allows me to cover a lot of water and certainly jigging wraps. I can cover water casting them as well, but. This particular lure right here, a Johnson Thin Fisher, I find works really, really well when those fish are keyed in on those shad, which they are a lot of times in these lakes, and they're just not quite going on the plastics or the bait.
1: All right. That's our tackle tip for today. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Companies, Honey Smoked Salmon. I'll tell you what, folks, if you haven't tasted this stuff, it is incredible. The secret is in the fire.